We're back with another episode, number five, Talking MMA. Hope everyone's been doing good. A lot's been happening in the MMA world. Let's get right to it. We had a big fight this past weekend. Uh, we had Sean Strickland versus Jack Hermanson. It was an interesting fight. Um, you know, not interesting in terms of who was going to win. I just thought that the whole situation of Jack Hermanson not being able to get the takedown, it ended up being a stand-up fight through five rounds. You know, Sean Strickland not talking the usual crap that he that he does. Um, it was interesting. Let's start off right with round one. You know, it was um, a round that a lot of people gave to Jack Hermanson, which I I would agree. You know, I give him the round as well. I'm going to pull up the stats on that fight. We got him right here. So Jack Hermanson actually won the first round, right? He, he was 26 of 47 on strikes, and Sean Strickland was 22 of 51. So... Landing 43% for Sean Strickland. Jack Hermanson was landing at 55%. So he won round one slightly. You know, it wasn't anything crazy. I don't, there wasn't really any takedowns. In this fight, um, you know, it happened a lot. Particularly the way I did envision it happening is how it happened. You know, there was a couple things like I thought Sean Strickland was going to take more center of the octagon. He didn't. You know, Jack did control a lot of that. Uh, Pace, he did walk him down a lot, but Sean Strickland was still picking him apart nonetheless. But, um, yeah, it was a fight where I thought I had seen enough already from Sean Strickland's wrestling exchanges in the past, in his past UFC fights, where I thought he'd be able to negate the wrestling of Jack Hermanson, you know? Because that's what Jack likes to do, right? He, Jack wants to take you to the ground, and he wants to control the fight from the ground. He wants to, you know, he wants to get on top of you. He wants to keep that full mount, hit you with elbows, punches from the floor, that's what he usually does. He did that to Edmund Shabazi, and he did that to uh, Kevin Holland. That's what he likes to do, typically. He tried to do that in round one. It was not successful, so he knew he, it was going to end up being a stand-up fight. Jack Hermanson in, in the striking department, it's nothing to write home about. You know, his his kicks are pretty good. You know, he'll throw some nice uh, leg kicks, some nice kicks to the body, but nothing to write home about. Interestingly enough, round two, Jack actually won the round on strikes as well. Well, he didn't win the round, but he was more accurate. So Sean Strickland landed 32 of 77, and then Jack landed 32 of 70. So Jack was landing at a 45% clip. Sean Strickland was landing at a 41% clip. But still, if you saw the actual round, how it played out, Sean Strickland definitely landed the more power punches. Um, you know, the more significant strikes definitely went to Sean Strickland in that fight, in that round, rather. And at the end of the round, it looked like Sean Strickland did take Jack Hermanson Put, did put Jack Hermanson down with a shot, but we went back, saw the replay. It looked like Jack Hermanson sort of just stumbled a little bit, on, uh, got caught with his feet, hit the ground, but the judges did not know that in real time. So that was a big swaying factor in giving the round to Sean Strickland. And regardless, even if that didn't happen, I do think Sean Strickland won the round regardless of the uh, accuracy percentage, which was like, Real close, regardless, 45% to 41%, same amount of strikes landed. Sean did do the most damage. And then that knockdown, you know, the judges saw that as a knockdown, right? So that's that's just how it goes. So he won that round. Round three, this is where he starts to take the fight over. You know, even the round three uh, strikes were close. Um, Jack landed 26 of 75 at 34% clip. Sean landed 27 of 59 at a 45% clip. So the striking numbers, not the percentages landed, but the striking numbers were pretty close. But Sean, again, was just landing the better strikes. He was evading 
with far more danger than Jack Hermanson was. And you just saw who the better striker was. Just flat out, you saw it. Round number four and five, pretty much, you know, the rest of the fight, we saw Sean Strickland take over. We saw Sean Strickland do what he does, kind of similar to what he did against Uriah Hall. You know, just get in your face, make it a fight. However, Sean did get a little bit more comfortable as the later rounds did come by. But early on in the fight and throughout pretty much most of the fight, that's not what he did. He didn't fight as he did in the Uriah Hall fight. And it was because he said he, you know, he was nervous or, or the moment got to him. And you could definitely tell because that's not usually how he fights. You know, he's definitely a little bit more, maybe not reckless, but aggressive than that. And he was starting to show it a little bit towards the end of the fight. Like I said, he was starting to fight a little bit more like in the Uriah Hall fight down the stretch. But that was later, later on in the fight. Not like round four. You know, throughout for most of the fight, he was fighting a pretty conservative fight for his standards. You know, at the end, I think we saw Sean Strickland come. Pretty much what I'm trying to say is the whole fight, he was very tentative. He was very, he was a bit cautious, you know, which is not what Sean Strickland does. He throws caution to the wind usually, you know. So the fact that he was very composed, he didn't talk any crap. I thought Sean Strickland was going to be talking the whole fight because that's what he does. You know, he just, he likes to talk. He like he loves the banter, the back and forth. So or maybe not the back and forth, but just most of it coming from him. We saw Sean Strickland peek out a little bit in like the last 10 seconds of the fight, and that's when he started to throw those shots and fight like he did in the Uriah Hall fight, like more of a brawler. We saw that towards the end of round five, and especially in the last 10 seconds of the fight, that's when he started talking shit. He started swinging more wildly, you know. But that was the last 10 seconds of the fight. You know, I thought I was going to get those last 10 seconds of the fight the entire five rounds. That's what I envisioned. But... It was still a perfect performance, nonetheless, for Sean Strickland. Not perfect, but it was a very good performance. It did enough to, you know, to put him up there now in the middleweight division. We said in the earlier episode that this is an important fight for the middleweight division. You know, I don't think it's a title number one. It wasn't a number one contender fight, per se, but it was very important, nonetheless, especially for Sean Strickland. I got the the rankings here for uh, middleweight, and let's see. So they did update them. So they just they just switched places in the rankings pretty much. Sean Strickland moved up to six. Jack Hermanson moved down to seven. You know, they took each other's spots. I think Sean Strickland should be ahead of Paulo Costa. I mean, what has Paulo Costa done lately? Nothing. Derek Brunson, Cannoneer, Vittori, Whitaker. That's perfect. Sean Strickland should be ranked five. Costa should be ranked six. Costa's asking for this Vittori fight or nothing. Kind of like what he did when he asked for the Adesanya fight or nothing along those lines when he lost to Adesanya. You need to go fight like Uriah Hall or Darren Darren Till versus Paulo Costa. Are you guys interested in seeing that one? That would be a good fight. I would love to see that fight. So, what's next for Sean Strickland? You know, you got to think a number one contender fight's going to be next. I don't think he's fighting for the title next. Um, you know, he beat number six. I don't think that's enough. You gotta you're gonna have to beat somebody in the top five. Granted, he is on the Six-fight win streak in the middleweight division. Second longest win streak in the middleweight division to none other than the champion. But you still have to beat somebody in the top five, I think. Uh, you know, he said he didn't want to fight Marvin Vittori. He said that they were friends. You know, that's interesting. Um, but, you know, if, if it's going to be friendship or the title, you're going to have to pick at some point what you want. You know, I think Marvin Vittori versus Sean Strickland 
is a fight that would make perfect sense. Because let's look at the top five. Robert Whitaker's fighting Israel Adesanya. He's held up right now. Jared Cannonier is fighting Derek Brunson. So three and four are held up right now. Marvin Vittori. Wait, Paulo Costa. All right, so we got Paulo Costa and Marvin Vittori then in the top five. Those are the only two sort of viable ones that I could see for him. But again, I don't even think Paulo Costa deserves to fight a guy like Sean Strickland right now. I really don't. I think he needs to fight somebody that's a little bit lower in the ranking and sort of get momentum back because what has he done lately? Again, and I think Sean Strickland's put himself in a position to be in a number one contender fight, his next fight. You know, that'll be a title eliminator fight. And you can't have Paulo Costa in a number one contender fight. You just can't. Not right now. So I think Marvin Vittori makes more sense, even though with Marvin, it's also like, you know, he's in no position to be in a number one contender fight. You know, you could do Sean fighting one of these two guys, and if one and if Sean wins, and you know, the you know, the stakes are different for Sean than they are for Vittori or for uh, Costa if he were to fight him. You know, if Sean wins, he gets a title fight. If Vittori and Costa win, you know, they're just going to start continuing to build momentum, get back to a title shot. So it's different, but kind of like this fight against Hermanson. Because Hermanson was a little bit more behind him. So we'll see what happens there. Let's move on. We got a big pay-per-view event coming up this weekend. It's UFC 271. It's a fight we've talked about a couple times already. It's a fight we're going to talk about again because it's that damn good. It's Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker. The second fight. Now, these two, 1A, 1B in the division. We said it many times. We're going to say it again easily. You know, you look at the the landscape of the middleweight division, and these two guys are by far the two best, you know? Let's break down the card because we do have three monster fights on that card. We have Cannonier Brunson as well. We have Tuivasa, Derek Lewis, and then, obviously, Adesanya Whitaker. So, let's break those three fights down. And let's start with Jared Cannonier, Derek Brunson. Jared Cannonier is the favorite in this fight. He's a minus 165 favorite. Derek Brunson's at plus 145. Derek Brunson's used to be the underdog. He's been the underdog in how many of his last fights now? How many of his last five, six fights now? So, you know, the guy's not... He's not in any place he hasn't been before. It's not going to make him uncomfortable. I think Derek Brunson's going to win this fight. Um, I think the wrestling's going to be too much. You look at Jared Cannonier. He's a guy who... He's he's a very opportunistic fighter, let's say. He's a guy who is very... He's very good at taking his chance and executing. He's very good at executing a game plan as well. We've seen him come out in multiple fights in the Kelvin Gastelum fight and just put on a clinic. So he's definitely a dangerous threat in the middleweight division. He's a guy that could fight for the title someday. Do I think he's better than Derek Brunson? I don't. I think Derek Brunson's wrestling is going to be too much. I think Derek Brunson has a style of wrestling that is just... just smothers people. You know, similar to an Islam Makachev. Similar to a Kamaru Usman. He has... He's a specialist in my eyes. I think he he's a very elite wrestler. You know, he's one of the best wrestlers in mixed martial arts. So we have to give Derek Lewis, I mean, we have to give Derek Brunson the advantage in that fight. You know, I really do. I think if you have the wrestling advantage in a fight, if that's what you do well against your opponent, you're already at an advantage. You know, wrestling is probably the best skill to have in the UFC. You know, if, you, if, you, if you're a dominant wrestler, you can control the fight. So I do think Derek Brunson wins. I just think he's going to get him down. 
and probably finish the fight on the ground, maybe submit him, you know, ground and pound him. I do. Um, I see it similar to the Darren Till fight. I think, you know, I think Jared Cannonier can definitely land some big shots. I would, you would have to give him the, the edge in the striking department. Um, and we've seen Derek Bronson when the fight stays standing for a little longer than he would like. We've seen him get lit up a few times, but I don't even think I don't think he's facing the caliber striker of even a Darren Till per se. You know, I think Darren Till is more of a threat in just a pure striking aspect than Jared Cannonier is. You know, you talk about power, speed, all those things, but just pure technique, skill in the in the standing in the stand up. I take Darren Till over over Jared Cannonier. And I think if Derek Brunson was able to get through that fire, you know, sort of hold his own in the striking, mix in the takedown attempts until he gets the actual takedown, gets you to the ground, dominates, finishes the fight, I think that's what he will do to Jared Cannonier. Like I said, I think it'll be quite similar to the Darren Till fight. But we don't know. You know, Jared Cannonier is very dangerous. Um, we saw that. We've seen that in his rise in the middleweight division. You know, the guy used to be a heavyweight, so he obviously packs a punch. You know, he packs a punch more than a lot of guys in that division. So he's to be respected. You know, I think, again, you talk about important fights, like we were talking about number one contender fights just now. This is certainly a number one contender fight in the middleweight division. If this, again, if this were bracket style, like we said in the last episode, this is the semifinal right now. We got Jared Cannonier versus Derek Brunson. We have Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker. You know, these two guys are going to meet in the final. And then, uh, yeah, we're going to see. Obviously, we know who the champion is. It's Israel. But, but yeah, these guys are... This is a big fight for the middleweight division. The odds are very close because it should be close. Um, and, if, you know, even if you look at who these guys have fought, you know, these guys are killers. Jared Cannonier uh, most recently beat Kelvin Gastelum, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so he beat Kelvin Gastelum. Lost to Robert Whitaker. Beat Jack Hermanson. Beat Anderson Silva. Beat David Branch. So the guy is very, very good at middleweight. Okay? He's a threat. Let's get to Derek Lewis versus Ty Tuivasa. Now that is going to be a big fight. I've been on record saying it. I'm going to say it for like the thousandth time. I really think it'll get round of the year. Obviously, round number one, because it ain't going past round one. If people, <laughs> if you think this fight's going to, like, decision, if you think this is going to go three rounds, you're crazy. Like, if you're feeling bold and you want to put your money on this going three rounds, you know, you want to make some money, don't do it, because this is not going to a decision. I'll say this again. I think Derek Lewis versus Tai Chi Voss is just going to be a scrap. These guys are going to be throwing absolute bombs. It's just a matter of who lands the first big shot, right? Derek Lewis, based on what I've seen in last fights, he's not as reckless as Tai Chi Voss is. You know, Tai Chi Voss just goes in there and scraps. Like, he just starts throwing in the middle of the octagon. That's what he does. Like, he's a legit brawler. Derek Lewis is a brawler for sure. You know, he's a fighter. But Derek, Bru Derek Lewis is a bit more technical in his approach. He's a bit more patient. I'm not saying he's patient, but he's a he's more patient. He's a bit more technical. You know what I mean? Like, these guys are just going to go out there and see who lands the first punch. And whoever lands that first punch is going to put the guy down, right? And it's going to happen in round one, I think, which is why I think it'll be such an exciting round. 
I expected to see heavy punches flying right from the right from the horn. But I do think Derek Lewis will win. I think he'll land the bigger shot. If we're talking about power advantage, I mean, does Derek Lewis punch as hard as Francis Ngannou? Probably not, but it's pretty close. You know, if Tai Tuivasa hits hard, you know, he does. If we're talking about power in that fight, it could be even, you know. You know, maybe Derek Lewis or maybe Tai Tuivasa has 90% of the power Derek Lewis has. But regardless, whoever's landing first is getting put out. Whoever's landing that big shot first is getting put out. Like, that's all you could really say about this fight. It's going to be a brawl. It's it's going to be a, such a brawl. This is a toss-up fight. Like if I wouldn't bet on this fight, you know, it's 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 a toss-up fight. Let's get into the main event now of UFC 271. It's a fight that a lot of people want to see, and I think it's a fight a lot of people want to see cuz they agree with me. You know, Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya are the two best guys in the division. Just look at their last however many fights besides the ones against each other. They dominate everyone in the middleweight division. You know, we pull up Robert Whitaker right now. We pull up his last five fights. Who's he beating? You know, Robert Whitaker's, ever since he lost to Adesanya, he's won three fights in a row, I believe. I believe it was Gasolum, Brunson, and who else was it? Darren Till that he he had beaten, right? So we pull up Robert Whitaker. He's on a three-fight win streak since the loss to Adesanya. Before that, look what Robert Whitaker did in the middleweight division. So, clearly was the guy before Adesanya. And now Adesanya seems to be the guy in the division. They're going to face off for a second time. It's going to be a fight that I think is going to be a lot better. So, ever since Robert Whitaker lost to Wonderboy Thompson, and that was what, at welterweight? So, he goes up to middleweight, beats Rhodes, beats Hester, beats Brad Tavares, beats Uriah Hall. Beats Natal, beats Brunson, beats Jacare, beats Romero two times in a row. Loses Todd Asanya. That's when Whitaker lost Todd Asanya. Beats Till, beats Cannoneer, beats Gastelum. That's why I'm saying he's 1B. He beats everyone in the middleweight division, not named Israel Adesanya. And Israel Adesanya beats everyone in the middleweight division, period. Is it fair to say 1A, 1B, maybe because you don't think it's that close? I'll tell you what. Robert Whitaker, in the last fight against Israel Adesanya, he fought very uncharacteristically. The way he was just rushing in, blitzing him, that's not what he does. That's what got him caught. If you look throughout the fight of Robert, if you look throughout the fight uh, when Robert Whitaker fought Israel Adesanya, at least a few times in the first round, he would do this thing where he sort of would just come in, blitz him, rush in, and throw crazy combinations, and Israel would actually land one or two shots on him. And Israel saw this coming. You can't do that to a master counterpuncher like Israel Adesanya and think he's not going to pick you apart. I don't know if he was emotional in that fight, if Israel maybe got under his skin. You know, because going into the octagon, though, he was pounding his chest, or he was staring him down so intensely in the, face, in the face-offs. It looked like he wanted to kill the guy. And I know a lot of fighters stare intensely at face-offs and they, you know, they like to hype themselves up before fights. But Robert Whitaker is usually more calm than that. You know, he's usually not as aggressive or at least doesn't show signs of aggression like that or at least as aggressive like that. So it was weird. It was, I thought he was acting uncharacteristic going into the first fight. 
and ultimately he fought uncharacteristic. You know, it kind of reflected how he looked, how he perhaps felt. He was in the fight. He was blitzing him. He was rushing him, and he was fighting a very aggressive fight at, uh, at certain moments in the fight. And you can't do that against Israel Adesanya. But what's more frustrating is Robert Whitaker just doesn't do that, period. He doesn't do that in fights. And I think he's learned from that. Great fighters make adjustments. Robert Whitaker is a great fighter. He's going to make adjustments. I think he's going to make enough adjustments that it's going to be a five-round war. I think Israel Adesanya will win either a split decision or a unanimous decision, but like a 49-48 kind of deal. I really do, because I don't think Robert Whitaker is going to come back into the second fight and do what he did the first fight, do the same mistakes. And I think now, ever since he fought Izzy, it's not to say that Robert Whitaker's looked better, but ever since they last fought, right? Whitaker is technically, un technically undefeated, right? Adesanya's lost a fight. And in the fight that Adesanya lost, he's shown kinks in the armor. He's shown that if you could take him to the ground and wear him down for a round or two, you know, you might be able to, you might not be able to take it out of him, you know, take his gas tank for the remaining rounds. But if you could take him to the ground, control him on the ground, get on top of him, and just dominate on the ground, you could start stealing some of the rounds that he would have taken if the fight was standing. Because he's a master at just picking you apart, outgunning you, outscoring you on the points, and winning fights. That's what he does. Jan had to take him down for a round or two to steal those rounds. Because it was not going to go good for Jan if you're just going to stand and bang with him the whole fight. Izzy was just going to pick you apart from the outside. I think Robert knows that. Derek Brunson said something very interesting today in the UFC presser for this uh, pay-per-view. He said that he thinks it's going to be very similar to the Romero versus Adesanya fight, but with more action. And I tend to agree. But I'm not saying it's going to be a bad fight like Romero-Adesanya. I think it's going to be similar to that fight in the sense that both guys aren't going to take risks. They're not going to go in there like crazy. It's going to be a very technical fight. Both guys are going to go in there and they're going to look to do what they do. They're going to look to fight the perfect fight, not make mistakes, you know, fight to their strengths, not put themselves in positions to be hit. And Robert Whitaker doesn't do that. However, in the Adesanya fight, he did that. Very uncharacteristic of him just come in blitzing him like that in the fight. So I think it's going to be a far better fight. I think Adesanya will win. But I do think it's going to be a five-round just war. And by war, is it going to be like Gaethje versus Chandler? No, absolutely not. But you're going to see the two best guys in the world trying to get the upper hand on each other through five rounds, not trying to make mistakes. Here's the thing. If Whitaker could start include, could if you told me right now before the fight, I'm not going to tell you he's going to win the fight, but I'll tell you this. Robert Whitaker is going to have some success in the, in the wrestling Robert Whitaker might win the fight because Robert Whitaker is good enough to make it interesting in the striking. He is. He's that good. that He can make it interesting if it's a stand-up fight alone. Just don't blitz him like last time. And if you're telling me that dude is going to start throwing in wrestling and he's going to be successful at it, I'm going to say Robert Whitaker wins the fight if somebody were to tell me that beforehand. But again, that's not the way this works. We don't know what's going to happen. I, I'm going to say Adesanya with the caveat that if Whitaker can mix it up and make it a mixed martial arts fight all around. It's going to be interesting to see if it can get to the judges' scorecards, how they have that, or if, you know, if one of these two guys can get a finish. But what a fight. I mean, just an unbelievable fight. It's, it's a fight that it's among one of the fights I want to see most in the sport. 
you know, if you give me a list like we did in the last video, this fight is up there. You know, these guys, you always want to see, when you have the two best guys clear-cut in a division, you always want to see them compete. Even if it's like seven times. Like, I'll see Jorge, I will see Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman fight ten times. Now, are those two guys as close as these two? I don't think so. But but it's because of the two best guys in the division. You know, I'll watch Figueredo Moreno fight ten times. You know what I mean? So it's going to be a great fight. Um, UFC 271 is this weekend. And it's something you're not going to want to miss. We have those three huge fights. As for the rest of the card, um, looks good. Let's check out the first two fights on the card. See who's fighting there. Bobby Green versus Nasrat. Hakparas. That's a very yeah, that's a nightmare of a last name, but let's just call him Nazrat. Kyler Phillips versus Marcelo Marcelo Rojo. That's a good fight. Kyler Phillips is always fun to watch. So look, we got Bob we got Bobby Green and Kyler Phillips to open up the pay-per-view in the first two fights. We got Cannoneer Brunson, Derek Lewis Tuivasa, and then we got Adesanya versus Whitaker, the second fight. And that is going to be if I could sell you on it, I'll say this to anyone. The second fight of you know, Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya 2 is going to be a far better fight than the first one. Guaranteed. If Israel Adesanya knocks him out in the first round, it wouldn't shock me either because I've grown to not be shocked by anything in this sport. It's such an unpredictable sport. That's why we love it. I'm going to go with Israel Adesanya nonetheless. Five-round decision. Let's get into this week's top five now. So for this week's top five, we're doing the top five title contenders in the UFC, meaning the contenders that I think are most likely to win the belt. Let's start off at number five with Yuri Prohashka. First and foremost, I'm going to start by saying that the 205 division is the hot potato division of the UFC right now. It's been unpredictable. You know, if you've been able to call it, if you've been able to call the 205 division the last couple of years to a T, I give you credit because it's been by far the most unpredictable division and hardest to call in the UFC. Even right now, if you ask me who's going to be champion by year's end, I don't know. It's a tough fight. We have Yuri Prohaska taking on Glover Teixeira. You know, the title switched hands a lot. You know, we had from John Jones to Jan to now Yuri in the last couple of years alone. It's been very hard to call. You know, Yuri Prohaska is fighting Glover Teixeira. Glover is now the champion. He's a guy who I'm so I was so happy to see him win the belt. You know, I think a lot of people were, especially people that have been in the sport for a long time and can relate to him. You know, the hard workers of MMA can relate to him. But again, I've seen Glover, you know, lose fights but but rise back, right? But the key thing there is I've seen Glover lose fights. I've seen kinks in the armor. Glover's not a world beater. He's not dominating guys like, say, Kamaru Usman, Israel Adesanya in their weight classes. So when I see that, I see a vulnerability in a, in a champion, and I see people that can come and threaten the belt. And in this division especially, I, I, I don't know. if Can Glover be champion? Can Glover hold his belt for the next year or two? Absolutely. Would it shock me if Yuri Prohashka was the champion by year's end? Absolutely not. It could be Yuri. It could even be somebody else. You know, it could be, if we look at the state of that division in general, it doesn't just have to be Yuri Prohashka, but I have Yuri at number five because I think just that division alone warrants the current contender being there because it's such a hot potato of a division again. 
Now we pull up the rankings for this fight. For this division, rather. We have Jan at one. Jan can come back, win the title. Who knows? You know, he got caught in in the uh, Glover fight on the ground. It could happen. Alexander Rakic is a guy that I'm predicting is going to rise to the top of this division and perhaps be the champion by year's end. Him and Yiri and Glover are going to certainly be in the mix. It's going to be tough to pick. Magomed is coming. He's a very, very skilled fighter. He's on a very good run right now in the UFC, so he's someone to watch out for. You know, Tiago Santos, Anthony Smith, we've seen these guys sort of bounce up and down throughout the division. Dominic Reyes, Volkan Uzdemir now as well. So... It's going to be very interesting to see who's the champion. It's not, I don't see a clear-cut guy where I say he's the best. you know, And that's why I think this division is so unpredictable, or at least one of the reasons why I think. So I'm going to have Yuri Prohoshkin at number five for the, very, for the simple reason that he's just next up in line to, as the contender in a division where I have no clue what's going to happen. Let's go with number four on this list. We're going to go with... The greatest female fighter ever, pound for pound, Amanda Nunes. And of course, I'm talking about the 135-pound division where she just lost a fight. Maybe the biggest upset in UFC history. She just lost to Juliana Pena. And it's a fight where, you know, we saw some kinks in the armor again. We saw Amanda... We saw some kinks in the armor. You know, we saw Amanda gas out we saw her take some shots we saw a very sloppy boxing display we saw her we saw her opponent take her back fairly easily and we saw her opponent tap her out fairly quickly and easily so here's the deal that fight i'm not saying that fight was an anomaly but it wasn't juliana pena deserves a win 100 percent. she's the champ she deserves it but the fight was weird I'm looking at a woman who's dominating legend after legend in the sport. You know, Cyborg, Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm looking at this woman just run through these people. Jermaine Durand and me. Like, the things she was doing to people that we thought were very viable contenders at female weight classes. She ran through them. To see a girl in Juliana Pena, who I have the utmost respect for, but I've seen Juliana face adversity. I've face adversity in that division that I've never seen Amanda face. I've seen her be tested in that division that I've never seen Amanda be tested in. I've never... Go look at all the people Juliana and Amanda face in that sort of loop of top 10 fighters in that division. Amanda dominated all those far more than Juliana. Amanda was was beating them one after the other. Juliana's had a couple of setbacks. She's bounced back, but she's had a couple of setbacks where Amanda hasn't. To see Juliana just do that to Amanda, it was weird. Because Amanda, it's like it's almost like you slayed the monster, but the monster was slayed a lot easier than you thought. Like something's weird there, the way she just tapped quick. And now we're hearing Amanda Nunes say that, you know, she had two that she had issues in both of her knees in that fight. You know, we've heard several reports come out about Amanda Nunes in terms of whether it be her health, you know, physical health. Since that fight, we've seen several things come out. You know, she's left American Top Team. So something is we- something weird is going on with Amanda Nunes. If she could just get herself back on track mentally, physically, get back to a good place, and just be the Amanda Nunes that you 
have been before the Juliana Pena fight, then we'll see what happens. I don't think it's a good comparison, but, you know, GSP smashed Matt Hughes and uh, GSP smashed Matt Sarah in the rematch after they fought, after Matt Sarah shocked the world and beat him. Is that going to happen? I don't see a similar situation. Like, I think Juliana Pena is a far more of a threat to Amanda Nunes than Matt Sarah respectfully was to GSP. But again, I just don't know because it was so weird to see Amanda just collapse like that. To me, something had to have been wrong. And this is just my personal opinion. So I am actually buying the reports of Amanda wasn't right physically. You know, whether her knees were compromised or something was up with her in that fight. Something else. Maybe something mental. Because we know that this game is as much mental as it is physical. So I'm at least going to give Amanda Nunes the benefit of the doubt. You know, her reputation, who she is, you got to give her that. So Amanda Nunes at number four. At number three of top title contenders in the UFC, I'm going to go with Islam Makachev. Now, I've been on record saying that, well, I think it's only a matter of time before Islam is a 155-pound champion in the UFC. Does he have to get through two very tough guys in Benil Dariush and um, the champion Charles Oliveira? Absolutely. Does he have to get through two guys who are no scrubs on the floor, which is where he wants the fight to go every time he's in the octagon? Absolutely. But is anyone going to handle him on the ground ultimately? When all the smoke clears, is he going to lose these fights? I don't see anyone beating Islam Makachev. If Islam is 90% the wrestler Khabib is, I still think everyone's in trouble. Khabib is the baddest wrestler in the history of the sport he's the most dominant wrestler in the history of the sport now and i'm going to take to the bank the things that i hear from khabib the things that i hear from josh thompson granted you know through the media through interviews and all that stuff about islam makachev i'm going to take that to the bank i'm going to take those war stories those gym stories to the bank you know we've seen islam run through everyone is he a better striker than khabib I do. I think he's a better striker than Khabib. Is he a better wrestler than Khabib? No. But again, is he 85 to 90% wrestler, the wrestler that Khabib is? Yes, I do think he is. And I think Khabib can attest to that. I think people are in trouble in this division. I think just his style of wrestling is so hard to deal with. You know, once he gets on you, he's like, these guys are like, these guys from AKA, these Dagestan guys. Once they latch onto you, it's it's like a leech. You're not going to get them off you. His understanding of of body weight and you know the way he tangles legs and the way he he's able to to use his joints to to trap you, like the way he wraps you like a snake. Like these guys are next level. These guys know all the tricks to get you to the ground. Once they get you in a clinch, it's good night. Once they get a hold of you. It's going to be hard to get them off you. You know, these guys, these Dagestan wrestlers, these guys from AKA, it's a different level. So, is Charles Oliveira good on the ground? Yeah, Charles Oliveira might be the best submission artist in UFC history. Does he not have the most submission wins in UFC history? Absolutely. Benil Dariush, you got to give him the stand. I would give Benil Dariush the stand, the striking advantage against, against uh, Islam Makachev. I'll give him the striking advantage in that fight. I'll even say this, if it gets to the to the ground and Islam gets put in a bad position, Benil Darius can certainly submit him. 
You know, his jiu-jitsu is the real deal, Benil Dariush. But I don't think it's going to happen. I just think Islam is just, I think he's that good. And I think some people are hesitant to maybe crown him early because it's kind of like the whole Hamzat thing where it's as, it's a bit different with him because he's faced more top flight contenders in the division, but people just want to see more, I guess. You're going to see a lot in this Benil Darius fight. You know, I think he's going to convince a lot of people in this fight. And if he were to beat Benil and if Oliveira were to get through Gaethje, which I think he will, but, you know, we'll talk about that for another, we'll save that for another day. I think he would be the favorite in a fight against uh, Charles Oliveira. It would be an interesting fight, but I, would, I think he'd be the favorite. I, I really do think it's only a matter of time before he's champ. And that's why I have him at number three. Number two on the list, I'm going to have to go with the guy who I believe is the best featherweight in the world, the best guy in his weight class, and that's why he is so high up on, the list, on this list. It's Max Holloway. You know, a guy who, if you look at the fight he had against the current champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, you look at their second fight, the last fight that they had, it's you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone that can honestly say Alexander Volkanovsky won the fight. You know, I mean, does anyone think he actually won that? I would argue that's one of the biggest robberies in UFC title fight history. Now, we've seen some judges, we've seen some robberies before, worse ones for sure. But this is up there. You know, Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky too. It was one of those fights where it was a good fight. It was fairly close. But, I mean, if you see, if you look at the totality of the fight, I mean, Max just won. Just with the eyes test alone. You know, remove the, the, the little graphic at the bottom with the rounds, the time. Throw away all the numbers. Just look with your, very, your own two eyes for the 25 minutes that they fought. You know, Max Holloway was the better fighter. Max Holloway was landing more. Max Holloway had the knockdowns. Ever since then, Max Holloway's done what? He's beaten who? Yair Rodriguez. He's beaten. He will. He look what he did to Calvin Cater, and that loss has aged well, especially after what Cater did to Giga. You know, I think Max is the best guy in the world. Volkanovski likes to talk a lot, but I mean, even in the Ortega fight, you know, Max handled Ortega a lot easier than Volkanovski did, for example. Let's just go to a recent fight. Now, no disrespect to Volkanovski, because, again, this is a division where, similar to um, middleweight, I think this, this is 1A, 1B right here. These are the best two guys in the world by far in that weight class. But I don't think Max lost the last fight. You know, I don't think Volk won. So I got to have Max here. Uh, Max Holloway's. One of the best pound-for-pound pound fighters in the world. He's actually on the pound-for-pound pound list, if I'm not mistaken. Not that it means much to this argument, but it just shows you that Max is is a very highly regarded fighter, you know? Max Holloway is number seven on the UFC pound-for-pound pound list. A non-champion is number seven. That says a lot, you know? Number one on the list, I'm going to go with Piotr Jan. You know... I think this one's obvious. I think a lot of people could have seen this one coming. I think this one was not only obvious, but it was just easy to select. Look at the last fight, Aljamain Sterling versus Piotr Jan. It was a fight where Piotr Jan was dominating, what, the first three, four rounds. The fight was easily going his way when it's no secret. He decided to illegally knee Aljamain in the head while he was grounded, thus getting disqualified, losing his belt, 
And now we're in a situation where Aljamain Sterling hasn't fought. He's been injured since then. Piotr Jan's beaten uh, Corey Sandhagen for the interim title. So technically, he is the interim champion right now, but he's not the undisputed champion. But, you know, once once Aljamain, Aljamain Sterling is either going to fight or he's going to get stripped, right? If he gets stripped, Piotr Jan, to me, is the guy. So, you know, if Aljamain gets stripped, it's going to be Piotr Jan. If Aljamain fights Piotr Jan, I see that fight going a lot like the first one. Um, and this time, hopefully he's not dumb enough to get DQ'd, so he should win that fight, right? So I'm just I'm just seeing Piotr Jan as the easiest guy to think he'll be champion out of all the contenders right now in the UFC. I do. I think it's only a matter of time. You know, if a guy like TJ Dillashaw can recover fast and get his his name in the mix, you know, he's already in the mix, but if he can get his name in there, get a title shot, and maybe face Jan maybe for the undisputed title or maybe get a title shot somehow before Jan against Aljamain Sterling, which I don't see happening. But yeah, so we, so we have to go with Piotr Jan. You know, Aljamain Sterling's a good fighter, but if you saw the fight against Jan, you know, I, you'd be hard-pressed to think that he's a better fighter. It's just tough. Like, I don't even think Aljamain Sterling's a better fighter than TJ Dillashaw is. I don't think Aljamain Sterling's even better than Corey Sandhagen. Now, did he beat Corey? He did. But I think if they fought again, I think the fight would go very differently. So that's that rounds out the top five for this week, the top five contenders in the UFC. We have Yuri Prohoshka, number five, Amanda Nunes at number four, Islam Makachev, number three, Max Holloway, number two, Piotr Jan, number one. And now for the final segment of today's show, Let's move on to MMA news. And as always, we're going to open up MMAfighting.com and get our news source from them. Happy trails to Happy Warrior. 20 years of story celebrating MMA pioneer Roxanne Modafari. Roxanne Modafari, um, congratulations on your retirement. Definitely a pioneer to women's fighting. Again, 20 years, she's been around for a long time. If she's been around for a long time, just think about this. The UFC was not even, mixed martial arts wasn't even a thing. You know, it was like recently, fairly, you know, mixed martial arts is a fairly new sport. So just think about the state that mixed martial arts was in 20 years ago when she started. For men, just for men, period. Now think about it for women. Like women got their foot in the door later on. So how bad do you think that women's mixed martial arts was 20 years ago? How hard do you think it was to, to, to be relevant, to make money, to stay motivated? You know, I'm sure it was tough. You have to give her credit, you know. Always very interesting at the, at the weigh-in. She comes with the, with the Dragon Balls e-wigs and all that. So always a happy fighter, too. Great spirit. Um, had, had some good wins in her career. You know, most recently she was a big underdog against uh, Macy Barber and she proved a lot of people wrong. So good for her, you know, on retirement. Jorge Masvidal issues warning to Colby Covington. March 5th is getting closer. So this is the need to your temple. Hmm. Now we saw the video that Masvidal released um, on Twitter to Colby where he's at American Top Team and he's saying, you know, how it... It hurts him that he's not at the gym. I'll read the quote here. It says, Masvidal says in the video, at the home, the temple, home to some real motherfuckers, left and right. 
I'm not the only one here that's a bad motherfucker. Many bad motherfuckers here, but not your bitch ass that got kicked out from here. Damn, man, I know it hurts every time you see that shit. I know what a sensitive bitch you are and how you read comments and cry. I can't imagine every time you see this symbol. And he's pointing at the American Top Team logo. It just hurts, man. Keep talking shit, though. I can't wait. March 5th is getting closer, so this is the knee to your temple. Not only am I going to break your face in a very talented way, in a very violent way, but the UFC is going to see you're such a liability that they're going to kick you out, bro. Then it's going to be back to the Indian reservations that where you can fight. Maybe you can co-main event or some shit like that because I don't even think you can co- you can main event after I'm done with you. In any show, I'm going to fuck you up, man. Keep talking that shit, though. March 5th can't come close enough. See you soon, bitch. Never forget. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of cursing, a lot of insulting. Um, you know, these guys hate each other. Maz Vidal hates him. You know, the storylines are documented uh, for anyone saying, oh, well, you know, how do you know that these guys are best friends, this, that. Go look at it on YouTube. It's documented. Jorge Masvidal has like vlog series. He used to do all these vlog videos. I think he still does them. Whatever it is. It's all documented. It's on YouTube. These guys were legitimately legitimately best friends. You could see it. They also say it. If you want the words to come out of their mouth, there's interviews where Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington will both say, yeah, we were friends. We were tight. We were best friends. Colby said it many times. We were best friends. I lived in his apartment. So, you know, this isn't speculation. Like, this has actually happened. Um, For anyone saying, oh, how do you know that? You can just, how do I know that? Internet. That's how I know. Chris Weidman targeting return to UFC after suffering horrific broken leg. I am coming back in 2022. By the way, saying internet, that's how I know, is probably not a good response. But it's fucking documented. Chris Weidman targeting. Chris Weidman targeting a return to UFC after suffering horrific broken leg. I am coming back in 2022. Now, when was that fight that he had against uh, Uriah Hall? Because that was a group. That was the most grueling, the nastiest injury I've ever seen live at a UFC fight. You know, the way his leg wrapped, literally wrapped, the way his calf wrapped around him. His leg, when he threw that that kick, man. So Weidman's last fight was April 24th, 2021. So I thought it was a lot longer than that. 17 seconds into the first round, he throws a kick to... Chris Weidman throws a kick to Uriah Hall's shin. And Chris Weidman's leg literally just snaps like it breaks. And you just see his leg literally wrap around Hall's leg or Hall's shin, rather, as the kick is thrown. Grueling stuff. So, what is April 24, 2021, that fight happened, right? So, we're pretty close to April 2022, right? So, we're close to a year. You got to figure he won't be back, right, within a year. So, he'll probably be back by, like, maybe the summer, late 2022. So, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I would hope that's enough time for that thing to heal up well. He said, Chris Weidman says, I want to fight before I turn 38 in June. Oh, there we go. So he wants to fight before the summer. That's my goal. I hate seeing the older age on the screen when I get introduced. I've always been like that. Even when I was in my 20s. I don't want to be 29. I want to be 28 for the next one. So I still have that in me a little bit now. I'm just way older. 
So if I could fight around early June, that would be great. Again, there's a lot in there's a lot in the air and it's very unpredictable. That's funny. So he wants to fight before he turns 39 so that when they show his age for his fight, it still says 38 is pretty much what he said. I don't think I've ever heard that before. John Anik on Israel Adesanya versus Robert Whitaker too. It's a dream matchup with a little heat on it. Yeah, I feel the same way. And why are people saying it's a dream matchup when Israel Adesanya knocked him out in the second round? Because they know how good Robert Whitaker is. Robert Whitaker made mistakes in the first fight. He's going to bounce back. It is going to be a better fight. Book it. John Anik is hoping all the questions will be answered in regards to who is the best middleweight in the world at the end of UFC 271. John Anik says, Israel Adesanya is certainly not blind to the fact that this fight was probably going to come around again. I would agree with that. He's never lost in the weight class, and I think at any time you have a championship fight that is as anticipated as their first meeting, that entails that ends relatively quickly. You feel a, a little bit shortchanged. That's so true. John Lineker tests positive for COVID-19. Bibiano Fernandez title fight off for Friday's one championship. That was going to be a good fight. So that that title fight for one championship between John Lineker and Bibiano Fernandez Fernandez is now off. That was going to be this Friday. Alexander Volkanovsky reacts to Max Holloway's offer to be backup at UFC 273. In other words, he was never injured. I saw this. He tweeted at Max. So we have the second best featherweight on the planet tweeted at the first best featherweight on the planet. Let's see what the second best featherweight said. At Blessed MMA, wants to be the backup fighter for the fight he was originally scheduled to fight. So in other words, he was never injured. Just hoping he doesn't have to fight me or fight me while I'm preparing for someone. But hey, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Dot, dot, dot. No. Well, maybe he just thought the injury was a lot worse than it actually was. You know? I don't know. All I know is I want to see that fight. Forget about the shit talk. Forget about all that stuff. I want to see the fight. AJ McKee versus Patricio Pitbull targeted for April. Obviously, it would be the second fight of the... It would be the rematch to the championship of the Featherweight Grand Prix that was between Patricio Pitbull and A.J. McKee, where A.J. McKee knocked him out, what was it, with a head kick in the first round, I believe? And he captured the title. So, you know, could this be the biggest fight in Bellator history? A.J. McKee right now might be the biggest star in Bellator. Patricio Pitbull was maybe the most dominant Bellator champion in the history of the promotion before he lost. So you got that guy versus maybe the biggest guy in Bellator right now in AJ McKee. Might be the biggest fight in Bellator history. I'm going to be tuning into that one, you know? The thing about AJ McKee and uh, Patricio Pitbull is these guys would be top four, five, top two, three, four guys. They'd be in the top five if they were in the UFC easily. Like... These guys are really good. AJ McKee and Patricio Pitbull are two of the best 145-pounders on the planet, regardless of promotion. And a lot of people have to realize that some of the best fighters in the world are not only in the UFC. They're in one championship. They're in Bellator. They're in other promotions as well. So, let's move on. Can't wait for that one. That's going to be in April. 
I saw this Nick Maximov, Nate and Nick Diaz are arguably the greatest martial artists to ever grace the octagon. Now, I want to open this up because I want to see exactly what he means by this. Does he mean like they're, they're just the best flat out or does he mean like from like a, an entertainment perspective? He says, I was a big Nate fan, but I was really a big Nick fan. I liked, I liked Nate, but I really liked Nick. It was just something about his style that I really enjoyed, his fighting style. I didn't really care what they said in interviews and stuff like that. I just liked how they fought. It really just spoke to me how they do jiu-jitsu, how they box, all that. So it seems to me that he's just more so just captured by the whole thing, you know, by, you know, their aura, the fighting style, the way that they are. He, he just digs that. So maybe he's not saying that the greatest martial artists of all time necessarily because I don't think anyone would say that Nick and Nate are the two greatest mixed martial artists ever. Is Nick maybe the most entertaining martial artist of all time when he steps in the octagon? We could debate that for sure. With Julian Marquez out, Kyle Daukis now meets Jamie Pickett at UFC Vegas 48. Good fight. Julian Marquez is, uh, I was excited to see the Cuban Missile back, but, you know, get well and hopefully we'll see you back. Israel Adesanya admits feeling bored in Jan Blahovic and Marvin Vittori title fights. If you saw the Vittori fight, I don't know about the Jan fight because how could you be bored when the guy's on top of you? That sounded so bad. It sounded wrong. But if you saw the the Vittori fight, nonetheless, it's not that he looked bored in that fight, but it didn't look competitive. It looked like Israel was sparring with a guy that he was a lot better than. So I could I could sort of believe that. You know, a lot of people might hate and say, oh, you know, that's such a cocky thing to say or whatever. But, you know, I feel like he's, he's telling the truth here, As, at least for the Vittori fight, because it didn't seem like a competitive fight. You know, the guy was grabbing his ass at the end of the fight, squeezing it, if you remember that. Like, does that, does it, if, if it's a competitive fight, you're not doing that type of stuff. You're focused on the fight. Speaking of Israel, like, I'm a big fan of the style bender, but I just don't like how he's trying to make it a thing with Robert Whitaker. Like, I don't like him. He doesn't like me. He talks trash. Robert Whitaker's a good fighter, man. Like, he's a good guy. You're a good guy. We just have to stop this, you know? So, yeah, that's pretty much going to do it for the news. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode number five of Talking MMA. We're coming out with one to two of these every week. You know, follow us on Twitter. Follow on TikTok. Follow on all the other platforms, Spotify, Anchor FM. And we'll catch you guys next week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time.